Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Sarah, and this is Micah, and we're the co-pastors at the Vine Church. We hope you're having a wonderful week. I know our summer is winding down, and we are looking forward to school starting new rhythms this fall. Absolutely. Excited about what's to come. So we have been in a series in the book of Ephesians. We've been exploring this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding region, describing what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. Now, for the first three chapters of Ephesus, he describes what God has accomplished. He has invited us. We are his heirs. He has saved us. Uh, we are the children of God, and we are a new creation. He describes all that God has accomplished in uh, us. And then in the latter three chapters, the conversation begins to shift to our participation in what God is doing. That is what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. And so last week we looked at Ephesians 5 verse 21, in which Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we look specifically at marriages and what does it look like to have this mutual submission. And we talked about that last week. Feel free to go back and check that out if you missed it. And today we're going to continue because Paul speaks to the power structure in the first century household. And so he started off with the marriage and now he's going to continue. So we're going to look at the next two sections this week. Okay. So he goes on to speak to children. He says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, I never frustrate our children. Oh, I'm no. sure they never. <laughs> Nor have any of us ever disobeyed our parents. You know, this is a practical and seemingly straightforward passage mm -hmm. that's quite challenging to live out, like many things in our Christian walks. Absolutely. You know, as we've been going through the, the letter to the Ephesians, we've been talking about the first century culture. In this time and place, what did things look like here? And it's significant to talk about um, just children in this time and place. In the Roman Empire in the first century, children had no rights. Children, in fact, weren't really considered com completely human even until they were grown up. And so um, some children were sold into slavery. Children could be discarded if they weren't wanted by their parents. Um, they could even be killed if without any repercussions. And so children had no rights in this culture, in this time, in this place. And so it's very significant here that Paul speaks to children. He, he addresses the children. So he's giving them um, importance and value. He's lifting them up simply by speaking to children. And we see that in the example of Jesus. Um, in Jesus, as he sat and taught, there were people who came and brought him their children. And in Mark 10, you can go back and read the story. His disciples try to shoo them away and say, hey, the, the rabbi is too important for your kids. You need to leave. And Jesus stops them and says, no, let the children come to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he gathers them up and he lays his hands on them and he prays for them. So we see it in the example of Jesus. We see it in the example of Paul here that children matter and children are valuable in the kingdom of God. Yeah, and so Paul says to children, 
obey your parents. And he quotes uh, from the Ten Commandments, uh, the Fifth Commandment, obey your father and mother. And he says, now, this commandment was the first of the Ten Commandments to come with a promise. If you obey your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll live a long life. It's this practical, just pragmatic approach saying that if families will operate uh, in a proper order, that is, parents treat your children properly, children obey your parents. If you will walk in the way of Jesus in this familial relationship, then things will go well. And that's so practical and seemingly obvious. I remember seasons in my life as a child when I was obeying my parents and we were walking in harmony and things were much better than the seasons in life in which I found myself or I was choosing a posture of rebellion. Good did not come of that in any way, shape or form. And then Paul uh, speaks to the fathers. So the fathers were the ultimate authority. They had all of the power in the household. And he says, don't exasperate your children. You who have complete power and authority over your kids, don't lord it over them. Don't um, frustrate them in this way by by using your power in these ways. And, um, you know, as a parent, I, I it, this makes me stop and think. Because so Micah and I have have two girls and we co-parents, so we share this power, but we have a lot of power in our household. We get to set the rules. We get to decide when bedtime is. I'm sure it always <laughs> oh, yeah, gets followed, right? <laughs> um, we we set the expectations. We get to choose often how our children spend their time or if they do chores or if they get free time. Um, we also set the tone of the household. We choose whether we encourage them to speak up and to participate and to grow and develop or if we're going to silence them and diminish their opinion. And so as parents, we have been given this power and it's our choice whether we're going to use this power for our kids' benefit mm -hmm. or for their detriment. And Paul here is very specific. He says, um, fathers, mothers, we're going to add that, parents, don't exasperate your children. Consider your kids and don't make their lives miserable just because you can. Okay. And further, he says, but there does need to be direction yes. in life. And so he says um, to bring them up, to raise them uh, in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I think this is a beautiful model. Uh, without getting into a lot of detail of that, I think to simplify, he's saying, uh, as you are learning to walk in the way of Jesus, raise your children to know what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. And so Paul speaks to children and he speaks to parents, um, walk in the way of Jesus. And then Paul's going to transition. And from speaking to children and parents, he's going to speak to slaves and slave masters. And from the beginning, as we read this, I just want to acknowledge that this may evoke in us some very strong feelings. And that's okay. So I encourage you to just stick with us because we're going to dive into this passage. So starting in verse 5, here's what Paul writes. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them 
not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. You know, last week when we spoke of marriage relationships, we talked about how it has been used in sometimes abusive ways in the same way this passage has been used in some uh, incredibly inappropriate and tragic ways. Uh, so today we want to dive in a little bit deeper. And the first thing I want to do is I want to look at this idea of slavery as it existed in the first century. Often we would think of chattel slavery or the transatlantic uh, slave trade that took place in the Western world in recent uh, generations. And, and the first century slavery or servanthood, this word is interpreted uh, in both ways in scripture, um, it had some similarities to what we've known in our recent history, and it also was distinctive and different in uh, many ways. So in the Roman world, um, they, uh, it's been estimated that if you were to enter uh, Ephesus or a city in the Roman world in the first century, somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of the people would be slaves or servants in the household. This was uh, quite common in their culture. And... Um, Servanthood or slavery came about in a number of ways. Sure, there was times when in war people were taken as slaves um, by nations and things like that. But much of the slavery or servanthood in the first century uh, was actually indentured servanthood. Uh, and, and this refers to someone who was unable to pay their debts, no longer able to care for their family, and they've become indebted, and they can no longer pay them back. And so they would enter into servanthood, they and their family, of whoever they owed that debt to. Or they would have the option of selling themselves and their family to another to then pay off that debt that they had. Now, I don't want to paint too pretty a picture. This doesn't take away from the conversation the fact that there was injustice and harsh treatment and major problems in the Roman world and how uh, society was structured. But without bankruptcy or uh, aid programs um, in place in the social structures in Rome, this was the reality. What all I can offer is my service to your household to repay a debt. And so it became quite, quite common in the first century and in the Roman world. And it wasn't unheard of for people to earn their freedom. In fact, it happened quite way. often. Yeah. Right. They would they would work their debt off and then be free again. You know, so as we read this passage, we it's good to understand that the slavery being referred to here looks significantly different than what we might think of when we think of slavery. And it's really important in this conversation just to just acknowledge the tragic history of our country with the transatlantic slave trade where Africans were kidnapped and Africans were sold into slavery. An estimated 12.5 million people mm -hmm. came from Africa to the Americas. And this is such a 
such a brutal part of our history. It was so incredibly dehumanizing and so many people died and so many people suffered greatly. And in our history, there's a long fight for the abolition of slavery. And then after the abolition of slavery, there's a long fight against the lingering racism and um, discrimination that existed and sadly still that still exists today. Exists yeah. today. It looks different, but it still exists today, this lingering effect. And, and what you mentioned, the fact that this scripture that we just read has been used by Christians in the United States mm -hmm. to justify this slavery practice is in incredibly wrong and it's just a gross misuse of this text. So we want to be really clear about that. Paul here is addressing Christians in the first century and, and, and giving them instructions on how to engage in that system. And, and it, yes, it was an oppressive system, but how to engage in a Christ-like way in that system. Paul's goal was never to perpetuate oppressive systems. Mm -hmm. And that's really important for us to just acknowledge um, throughout the New Testament, throughout scripture, we see that in the kingdom of God, all people are equal. And then as followers of Jesus, we are called to join God as God is working to bring about equality and unity and reconciliation. As, we, as I think about this, I'm reminded of something that Martin Luther King Jr. said um, in one of his speeches. And I, I quote him. He said, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In our prayer, in our individual lives, and also in, in our community and in, in the church, our prayer is that justice and equality and unity be brought about through Jesus. Yes, yes. So we'll zoom out and look at some of the broader uh, conversation in Scripture and in Paul's writings. But for today, we do want to engage yeah. this this text in Ephesians. And so we'll look at it a little more deeply. What Paul is speaking to as he writes to the churches in Ephesus is the very real on the ground life being lived by people in that region. Uh, and he, what he's talking about is the incredible challenge of integrating slaves and slave owners into a church. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he describes the situation in which the wealthy, those with means, are coming together and they're celebrating and they're having a meal together. These are Christians celebrating in their homes in the as as a church. They're taking the Lord's Supper or sharing the, the Lord's Supper meal together. And they're celebrating and totally humiliating those who have nothing, likely the slaves that are coming later after, after they get done at a hard day's work. And, and Paul chews the church out. He says, you are doing a disservice. You are not celebrating uh, Christ's resurrection uh, and sacrifice and communion. And so this is the very real and the very real challenge the first century church is considering in addition to uh, integrating Jews and Gentiles and male and female and all these things. There is this very real challenge. How will we come together, slaves and slave owners, on some sort of equal footing and worship together? So, Paul. Speak specifically to the slaves first, starting in verse 5. 
Paul writes, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So he speaks first to the slave and he says, obey your earthly masters just as you would obey Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but some, that's hard for me to hear. That's hard for me to digest because my brain, you know, starts asking, well, what if they're being mistreated or, you know, what if, you know, all these, all these things. And so I just encourage you to stick with us because this is where Paul begins. This is not where he ends. So he begins here saying in, in what position that you are in as a slave, do a good job, mm -hmm. do a good job. So obey with respect and sincerity of heart. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting statement, challenging, absolutely. Um, but I asked myself the question, what alternative do they have but to obey? Mm -hmm. In the position they were in, they didn't have the rights to appeal or, you know, come out of the situation. And so he's saying, Tell you what, you have to obey in this situation. And so do so with sincerity. Though you might not be in control of your circumstances, you are in control of both your perspective on it and your response to the situation you're in. So he's going to go on to say, now look at Christ, how he handled injustice and things in his life and follow in his example. Right. So verse six Paul continues, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So he, Paul speaks to the motivation for obeying or for serving wholeheartedly. He says, consider your service as service to God. Mm -hmm. so, so obey and serve as you would obey and serve God. Christ. And this is really interesting to me because following Jesus gives our lives new meaning and new purpose. And even in this difficult situation of, of being a slave in the first century, um, in, in this situation, Paul's saying there's, there's purpose here. Obey as if you were obeying Christ. I'm reminded of Paul's um, th thoughts, his letter to the Colossians in Colossians 3. A lot of it parallels what he writes here in Ephesians 6. In Colossians 3 verse 17, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, serve as if you're serving Jesus. Okay. And he says, this is, this is then doing the will of God. Now, I think it's important we mm -hmm. get this right. He's not saying it is the will of God that you find yourself in this situation or in an unjust situation. Uh, instead, he's saying, uh, realize that your master is not this person, but instead it's Jesus Christ. Um, so serve him, live in his way. And this is God's will for you. And so he continues, and in verse 7 and 8 are kind of a summary of what he's saying to um, the slaves. He says, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So serve wholeheartedly um, because God will reward those who do good. And he, basically, Paul is saying, regardless of social standing, whether you are a say, slave or or whether you are free, God desires good, and God will reward those who do good. 
Absolutely. Okay. So he's spoken to slaves and he said, hey, you are in the situation. And it's it's not a good one. But he says, go ahead and walk in the way of Jesus mm-hmm. in that situation. Now he says something really revolutionary in verse 9. As he says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In the same way. In the same way. So masters... Place yourself in the shoes of your slaves and treat them as you would want to be treated. This is, of course, the way of Jesus Mm -hmm. and the words of Jesus. So as he said to slaves, uh, you know, uh, serve with respect, out of respect. He's saying, masters, serve out of respect, like care for people that are under you. He -hmm. says, consider your relationship with your slaves and others in relationship to your obligation to Christ. Jesus comes First, you you serve him, and so in the same way, treat them as you would treat Christ. And he specifies, after saying that, do not threaten them, which, as you can probably imagine, that was very, very common. He says, don't threaten the slaves. Don't lord your power over them. Don't try to control them through fear. Though this was an acceptable practice at that time, Paul says this is not acceptable in the kingdom of God. In Jesus, they are called to act differently. Mm -hmm. He says, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. He says, you are accountable for your actions before God. And the crux of his reasoning here is that there is no favoritism with God. In God's eyes, you are equal. So act accordingly. So we look at this passage and his instructions to slaves and we say, oh, why can't he just call it out? Say it's wrong. Why can't he just end it? Well, he lived in a, in a system where it wasn't ending immediately or easily. And so he says to Christians who are in slavery, he says, uh, go ahead and live out of a different perspective, serving Christ in whatever mm-hmm. circumstances you find yourself. And then he puts a very heavy burden on uh, people who might own uh, servants in their household. And he says, hey, treat them as you would treat Christ. Mm-hmm. Realize that they are your equal and act justly because you are accountable for the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. What Paul doesn't say here, though, is a little bit challenging. And so we want to zoom out and go ahead and look at a broader perspective on um, the subject of uh, slavery found in scripture. Um, so there's this letter that he uh, uh, writes to a man named Philemon. Okay, and it's the shortest book in your Bible. You have time to read it this week, and I'd <laughs> encourage you to. But what this book is, is Paul's appeal to a man named Philemon. Um, your slave has run away. Uh, Onesimus is Onesimus. his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he's run away. I'm sending him back to you. And he says, now, not only do I want you to accept him back, but I want you to accept him back, not as a slave anymore, but as a brother in Christ. So in in this letter or in this letter that he writes to Philemon, he does make this argument. Hey, free him and worship with him. He is your brother in Christ, no longer to be a slave. You know, when we think about Christianity, when we think about the equality and the unity found in Jesus, that completely undermines the whole concept of slavery, one mm-hmm. person owning another. And so that that's a really interesting example, even in that context that Paul says, yes, this, this is the way of Jesus. 
Um, Paul writes another letter to um, churches in Corinth. And, and this is found, I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21 and verse 22. And listen to what he has to say here. He says, were you a slave when you were called, when, when you came to know Jesus? Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. And there's two things really, really that stand out here to me. The first, he says that you can be a slave and a Christian. You're a Christian now and you're a slave. He says, don't let that trouble you. But of course, if you can gain your freedom, absolutely do that. That is better for you. But then he uh, he uses this paradoxical language here. And I love um, how he uses this language. He says, if society makes you a slave or makes you a servant, then just know that you're a free person in Christ. Mm. And if society gave you freedom, um, just know that in Christ, you're a slave or you're a servant of mm. Christ. So whatever your social standing is in society, we are all called to live out our faith in Jesus. Yeah, and this is that leveling effect mm. of the gospel. Yeah. The high will be brought down and the low brought yes. up. This is the story playing out. And Galatians 3 describes it incredibly well. As Paul says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the leveling effect of the gospel in societies, even as corrupt and broken as the one he's speaking into in the first century. So last week and this week, as we've been looking at Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, um, Paul speaks to the power and authority structures in the household in the first century. And, and as he brings this up, he speaks to this all in the context of mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he looks at these power structures with the husband and the wife, the child and the parent and the slave and the master. And he's basically saying, in all of these existing power structures, engage in, this, in these relationships with Christ in mind. Engage in these relationships um, through your faith in Christ. So show concern for each other. Teach and instruct the way of God. Show love towards each other. Serve each other. Treat each other with honor and respect. Whatever the power structures, live out your faith in Jesus. Yeah, he, he's saying uh, both what Jesus taught and demonstrated uh, live into those things. And he's speaking into a very specific culture and a very specific people. And he's saying, Jesus taught, taught you, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So 
if you're if you are a slave owner or if you are a father or if you are a husband he's saying treat them as you would have them treat you do not lord your power over people but instead walk in the way of of Jesus treating people fairly and justly he says love your neighbor as yourself goes on to define neighbor as everyone he says love people like you would love yourself whatever wherever you find yourself in the power structures of your society or your household he says love people and treat them as you'd have them treat you. And so as as we look at this passage and we ask so so what in here are our takeaways? What what is it that as we move from here we can apply in our lives? And and there are two things. Uh, first, when we are given positions of power, we are called to engage in humility and concern for others. Mm -hmm. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of submission. When we are given power, we lay it down for the benefit of others. We leverage our power and our positions to help others. And so looking at this passage, I think of, of as a parent, we have, we have power, um, that an authority that's been given to us and asking ourselves, are we using that for the benefit of our kids, or maybe it's at work. Maybe um, we're supervisors or, or or employers, or maybe it's in our friend groups that we're leaders. We have influence. We all have some positions of influence, and so in those positions, we are called to engage with humility and with love and with concern for others. Well put. And sometimes we find ourselves on the other end of the spectrum. That is, there are powers and authorities over us in our society or in our households or in our lives. And some of those are just and good. And some of those are unjust mm -hmm. and cause pain and hurt in our lives. And he says, live your life under the authorities that exist with a new perspective. As though you're serving Christ, live in a way that your life lives out and demonstrates to others the gospel, the good news that we are freed people with new hope found in Jesus. Live under whatever authorities and structures might exist in your life in a way that demonstrates who Christ is and what he has done in our lives. And know that the kingdom of God is being brought about. And in the kingdom mm -hmm. of God, we are all equal we're equally loved, equally valued, and we're called to treat each other in that way. Yes. Amen. Let's pray about that. Dear God, we thank you for these words, Lord. Um, as challenging as, as some of this is, Lord, we, we ask that you would help us understand how it is that you're calling us to live. Lord, where, where we can love each other sacrificial love as you have loved us lord how to honor and respect each other lord as we discuss systems and many of which are oppressive um, and unjust lord i pray that you would give us wisdom in knowing how to love people in those systems and lord also how to establish more equitable and um, just systems. Lord, we ask for your spirit to change us, transform us, and to work through us for the advancement of your kingdom, a kingdom where all are equal and all are loved. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. We will sign off with that, and we pray that you have a blessed week. See you soon.